Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Uh, as I was sitting here worshiping, I was uh, looking across the stage and I was so thankful for our praise team. Amen? Um, I thank God for them. I thank God for their talents and I thank God for their abilities. I thank God that they are using those talents and abilities to give Him glory, to praise Him. Uh, I looked over there on that drum and I saw Hayden on those drums and man, he was getting it. I mean, he was get. I saw his head. I mean, I just saw his countenance, and I thought, man, that's awesome uh, to see a young man, you know, just using his talent and his ability uh, to give God glory to help his church, right? Uh, worship, and uh, it got me a little fired up, as if I I need any help getting fired up. Um, but it did. I, I I'm thankful. Uh, back in the early 2000s, and, and even now, uh, one of my favorite worship bands. Uh, is a band named Jesus Culture. Uh, if, you've, if you've listened to them before, uh, you know who I'm talking about. If you haven't, look them up, listen to them. They're an incredible worship team. Um, many, many times they, they were led in worship by a lady named Kim Walker-Smith. She's got an incredible voice. Uh, and again, she uses her talents and her abilities to give God glory. One of my favorite songs by Jesus Culture, sang by Kim Walker-Smith, is a song called I Surrender. And I, I just want to read the lyrics. I'm not going to try to sing it because I can't sing, uh, especially like she can. So I just want to read the, the opening lyrics to the song I Surrender by Jesus Culture. These are the opening lyrics. It says, There is no love sweeter than the love you pour on me. There is no song sweeter than the song you sing to me. There is no place that I would rather be than here at your feet, laying down my everything. And in the chorus, this is what Kim Walker Smith and Jesus Culture sings. All to you I surrender. Everything. Every part of me. All to you I surrender. All my dreams. All of me I surrender. That's, that's some incredible lyrics. That's an incredible song. And, and I just... Even this morning as we were on our way to church, we were listening to that song. And I was just sitting there thinking, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. It's really easy for me to say. Uh, It's really easy for me in my car when nobody else is listening to sing that real loud. Um, It's really easy for me when I'm running on the road and and that's going through my ear pods to kind of lift my hands up while I'm walking, you know, running down the road. People look at me in their cars like I'm crazy. Um, But it, it... It's really easy for me to say those words and sing those words. What do those words mean? What does it mean when you say, I surrender? What does it mean? Well, according to Merriam-Webster, the word surrender means this. It means to yield to the power, the control, or the possession of another. It means to give up completely. To give up completely. How many of you when you were kids, uh, and maybe you had brothers or sisters, how many of you played cowboys and Indians when you were kids? And the the young people are like, what are you talking about? The older people, you know, we're on the same level here. The younger people are like, no, we got phones and iPads and computers. Well, back in the day, we didn't have those things. So we ran around the yard and hid behind the trees, and we played cowboys and Indians. And when the cowboy pulled his gun on me, if I was the Indian, you know what I said? I surrender. (laughs) I didn't want to be shot. I didn't want to die, right? And so think about that. The word surrender, it means to yield. It means to yield to the power, the control, or the possession of another. It means to give up completely. So as we think about that word surrender, I believe we're going to see this experience of surrender in the final words of Mark chapter 12. I don't know about you, but Mark chapter 12 is an incredible chapter in the Bible. It is an incredible chapter. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, we read the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents was all about the religious leaders rejecting God by rejecting Jesus Christ. Oh, the the religious leaders, they, they could put on a show. They were what I like to call the pretenders. They pretended to be in touch with God, but Jesus called them what they really were. They were hypocrites. They were hypocrites because they said one thing and they did another. And so the parable of the tenants, 
what Jesus shows us is that it's all about the heart. We have a heart issue. That's, that's the problem. It was the problem of the religious leaders. I believe it was the problem of even the disciples. And I believe it's the problem we have today. We have a heart problem. And so Mark chapter 12 is all about the heart. And I believe it starts with, with Jesus. Do you know that Jesus was patient with these religious leaders? How, how patient is Jesus? When the religious leaders struck out the first time, how many of us would have, would have just poured out our wrath on them? Right? Jesus kept talking to them. Jesus kept preaching to them. Jesus kept reaching to them. See, I believe Mark chapter 12 shows us that the heart of God was reaching down to the heart of man even when the heart of man was rejecting him. I believe that's what we see. In Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 27, we see the religious leaders question Jesus about allegiance. Allegiance. Then they question him about resurrection. And we already know that the religious leaders, if you move backwards in the book of Mark, we already know that the religious leaders were surrendered. Okay? Make, make no mistake about it. They were surrendered. Do you know who they were surrendered to? The crowds and themselves. Right? They were not surrendered to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus has already shown us And Mark has already shown us in his gospel that they feared the crowds. That's what it says about the religious leaders. They feared the crowds, and so they did this. They did not fear God. They feared the crowds, and so they were surrendered to the crowd. They had given themselves over to the power of the crowd. They wanted the crowd's attention. They wanted the crowd's uh, respect. They wanted the crowd's uh, everything the crowd could give them. That's what they wanted. So they were yielding to the people. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, uh, Jesus taught the teacher of the law. You remember we looked at this just a couple of weeks ago. Jesus taught the teacher of the law that more than anything else, we are to love our God. That's what he taught him. The teacher of the law said, what's the most important command? What is the heaviest command? What is the one that means the most? And Jesus said, love your God. And how did he say that? He said, love your God with what? All. All. He used that word, all, which leaves nothing out. He said, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Does that leave anything out? No. That's every part of who we are. Jesus said the greatest command is to love your God. And then he said the second is like it. It's to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself. See, I believe God doesn't want a part of us. He doesn't want some parts of us. You know what God wants? God wants all of us. He wants all of who we are. You know what he wants? He wants our surrender. That's what he wants. He wants our surrender. So look at it with me, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. Jesus is is still there in Jerusalem. This is is his final week. These are his final steps before he gives himself up, before he gives himself up to die on the cross for you and for me. And in verse 38, it says, as he taught, he does that a lot, doesn't he? As he taught, Jesus said, watch out. I'm going to tell you, those are two powerful words when it comes from Jesus. You better pay attention when Jesus says, watch out. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Verse 40, they devour widows' houses. Don't miss that. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So so I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus is teaching, as he always does. and, And as he was teaching, he wanted his disciples to be aware, not just of where they were, but of the audience, of the people around them. And so Jesus says, watch out, be aware, be ready. 
Uh, Remember, I've said this many times in this series, Jesus is always teaching. He's always pointing to truth. He's always speaking truth. Jesus is always teaching. As a matter of fact, he is the teacher. He is the teacher. And Jesus wants his disciples to see what he sees. He wants them to hear what he hears. He wants them to know what he knows. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't want you or me Walking through this life aimlessly with no purpose and no direction. He does not. You may say, well, I I can't hear him. Well, you're not listening. Because Jesus speaks. He speaks to us in his word. And he speaks to us through prayer. Jesus is always speaking. And Jesus is always teaching. Your heart needs to be pointed in his direction. If you want to hear him. Jesus doesn't want you walking around aimlessly. He doesn't want you walking around not knowing what God is doing, who God is. He wants his disciples to see what he sees, hear what he hears, and know what he knows. He's not hiding anything. So he tells his disciples, watch out. Watch out for what? The very next phrase says what? For the teachers of the law. Watch out for the teachers of the law. He wants to teach them about the hearts and the minds of the teachers of the law. He wants them to know who the teachers of the law really are. And and so here's what he teaches. Number one, the religious leaders craved attention of people. That's what they wanted. More than anything else, the religious leaders wanted the attention. They craved the attention of people. They wanted people to see them. They wanted people to hear them. They wanted people to respect them. They wanted people to honor them. That's what they wanted. More than anything else, they didn't really want the attention of God. They wanted the attention of man. Everything they wanted was temporal. In other words, right here, right now. They were not focused on eternity, no matter what they said with their mouth. No matter what they said with their mouth. They were not focused on eternity. And I'm going to tell you, they weren't focused on meeting the needs of other people. They were only focused on themselves. I love Pastor R. Kent Hughes. In his commentary, (laughs) he says it better than I can. Listen to this. He said the religious leaders wore power suits. Right? Power suits. I love that. He said they wore power suits because they were proud lovers of of praise and position. They were proud lovers of praise and position. You know, in this life, I find that there are so many people that want to be patted on the back. Don't you know it? There's a lot of people that want to be patted on the back. There's a lot of people that want to be recognized. Oh, say my name. Oh, say what I've done. Oh, oh, say what I've gone through. Oh, say what I, say something about me. That's the religious leaders. That's the religious leaders. They wore their power suits. They strutted around, right? Flowing robes. That's what Jesus said. They not only wanted the respect of others, they wanted the honors of others. Jesus said they want the best seats at the table. As a matter of fact, they expected the best seats at the table. They demanded that people pay attention to them and pay attention to their position and pay attention to the authority that they had. As if this was not enough, Jesus, look, he could have stopped there and we would have said, man, that's enough. But he didn't stop there. He wanted them to see who the religious leaders were. He wanted them to see them, hear them, and know them the way he saw them the way he heard them, the way he knew them. So not only did he describe them as people who wanted all this respect and all this honor, all this praise, all this attention, he goes on and he says something more about these prideful, proud religious leaders. He said the religious leaders devoured the possessions of the widows. They devoured the possessions of the widows. I wrote this down in my notes. I wrote down two words. Giver, taker. Giver, taker. Do you know how Jesus describes the religious leaders right here in this passage? Say it again. Yeah, they're takers, right? They're takers. They are not givers. They are takers. 
that they're takers. That's what they are. They were not concerned with meeting the needs of anyone, even the widows. They were only concerned with their own needs, their own wants. These leaders, they preyed on the weakest of their society, the widows. Think about that for just a moment. Who would, you do, who would you describe as the weakest of our society? Just think about it for just a minute. You don't have to say it out loud, but think about the weakest in our society, right? The widows during Jesus' time were some of the weakest in society. And the religious leaders preyed on them. Preyed on them. See, during this time, the religious leaders, they lived off of donations. They lived off of gifts that were given to the temples and to the synagogues. As a matter of fact, religious leaders, all of these Pharisees, all of these, these, these religious leaders, they, they were forbidden to take money for their work. So when they performed an act, you couldn't pay them for it because they lived off of the gifts and the donations that were made to the temples and to the synagogues. And look, what Jesus is talking about right here, think about these words, they devoured the widow's possessions, right? When, when John, in his gospel, describes our enemy, enemy, Satan, he says, our enemy, Satan, has come to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Peter, in his letters, he describes our enemy, Satan. He said he is like a lion walking around wanting to what? devour us. He's looking for those whom he can devour. So think about that for just a minute. Why did Jesus use those words? They devour the widow's possessions. Because they're not acting like God. They're not living and loving like God. You know who they're acting like? You you know who they look more like? Say it out loud. The devil. The religious leaders. Right? The ones who are supposed to be teaching the commands of God. They actually look more like the devil than they do the God they say they serve. This was not something they just stumbled upon. Because don't you know that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they knew the law. They knew the prophets. They knew the prophecies. Let me read one to you that they knew. I just want you to know, this was not something they stumbled upon. This was premeditated devouring of widows' possessions. They knew what they were doing. They knew why they were doing it. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed people making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Isaiah, many years before these religious leaders were even alive, right? He prophesied what was going to happen. He prophesied that Jesus was going to come, that Jesus was going to be born, that God's Messiah would come to save the world from their sins. But he also prophesied there's going to be those, right? There's going to be those who will add to the law. They will make unjust laws. They will target those who are poor. They will oppress those in society. In other words, they're going to be takers rather than givers. What did Jesus say about himself? Jesus said, I came to what? Give my life, right? Give my life as a ransom for many. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. That's what Jesus said. These religious leaders, whew, Jesus, I mean, two words, watch out, watch out. I think of mamas and daddies, right? Mamas and daddies, when they're they're with their young children, and and maybe they're in a dangerous circumstance or a dangerous situation, when when mama and daddy says, watch out, what do you do? As a kid, what do you do? You freeze, right? At least I hope you do, right? Unless you're a little rebellious. And sometimes we are. But, but most of the time, if my mom or daddy, when I was a kid, said, watch out, I stopped and I started looking around. Like, watch out for what? <laughs> like, like I'm, not move, I'm not going anywhere until I figure out what my daddy's saying or what my mama's saying. Jesus says, watch out. And I can just imagine he grabbed his disciples' attention. Watch out. And then he says, for the religious leaders, watch out. I want you to know who they are. 
I want you to know what they're doing, and I want you to know why they're doing it. See, these religious leaders, they are surrendered, just not to God. They're proud. They're prideful. They are surrendered to self, and they're surrendered to the crowds. Everything they do is to try to appease the crowd and to try to pull the crowd in so that they can be lifted up. But Jesus makes a promise here, doesn't he? Don't you love it? Not only does he say, watch out, he also says that the religious leaders will be severely punished. Severely punished. Let me tell you something. God sees it all. God sees it all. Listen, I can hide things from you, but I can't hide nothing from God. You can hide things from me, but you can't hide nothing from God. You know what? A spouse can hide something from a spouse, but a spouse can't hide nothing from God. God sees it all. God sees these religious leaders putting on a show because that's what they're doing. They're putting on a show. They're like play actors on a stage. When, 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 when God sees the heart of man, not just the, the what he does, God sees the why he does it. Think about that. God doesn't just see what man does, he sees why man does. And we need to listen to that too. God sees what we do, but more importantly, God sees why we do it. Are we doing it so that we can get the attention of this person or that person or these people? Or are we doing it because we love God? And we know that loving God means to love what? Others. <laughs> What's the purpose? Again, these religious leaders, they were surrendered. They were surrendered to their own prideful ways. They were surrendered to the crowds. They wanted attention. They wanted position. They wanted authority. That's why they didn't like Jesus. That's why they wanted Jesus not just gone but dead because Jesus was the authority of God. And they craved it. They wanted what Jesus had, not to glorify God but to glorify self. Jesus tells his disciples, watch out. And I find it no coincidence. I find it no coincidence. Right after he says, watch out, and he's got their attention, and they're looking at the religious leaders, and they're listening to what Jesus says about the religious leaders, teaches them about the religious leaders, Jesus walks to a place there in the temple, and he shows them something else. He shows them someone else. Look at it with me. Oh, what a beautiful passage of Scripture. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Here we go. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd. Now, Now, listen, he's not just looking at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. Now he's looking at the crowd, right? He's looking at all of the people. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings are put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Look at this. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And Jesus, doing what he always does, teaches, right? He teaches. Verse 43 says, Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live live on. She put in everything. When I read this passage of Scripture, I I can't help but think about those words of that song, I surrender. I, I surrender all. My everything, my hopes, my dreams, me. I surrender all. As Jesus was teaching his disciples, I, I couldn't help but think about the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you love the Sermon on the Mount? Probably all of you, right? The Sermon on the Mount is the, it's the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher preaching the greatest message ever. 
And, and so when I read this passage of Scripture, my mind begins to just unpackage some of the things that Jesus has already taught. Now, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to remind you of just a, just a little bit of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So you don't have to turn there. Just listen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Hmm. <laughs> think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and think about what Jesus is showing them right now in the temple treasury. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And then Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. In verse 21, listen to this. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hmm. I want to talk about the temple treasury for just a minute. So, so Jesus, he, he's gone to this place. He's gone to the temple. He's gone in. Uh, he spent a few days there. And, and, and now, after telling his disciples, watch out for the teachers of the law. Let me tell you who they are. Let me tell you why they are. That they are surrendered to their own prideful desires. That they are surrendered to the crowds. They want the attention. They crave the attention of people. And so Jesus now takes them to this place. As a matter of fact, it was called the court of women. That's what it was called, the court of women. It's actually the temple treasury. And so the temple treasury was supposed to be a beautiful place of worship to God, a place of cheerful and thankful giving to God and to kingdom ministry. And in this courtyard, theologians and biblical scholars tell us that there were 13 treasure chests. 13 treasure chests. They were called trumpets. Do you know why they were called trumpets? Because of their shape. So these 13 chests that were in the temple court there, the court of women, uh, this was where the offerings were given, all kinds. They had different types of boxes with different types of gifts, but it was, it was offerings. It was tithes and offerings. And they were shaped like trumpets, and so they would have been really big on top, and they would have been built to get smaller down towards the bottom. And there's a purpose in this, okay? They, they were made this way, so that when the money was placed in them, it would make a joyful noise to the Lord. That was the purpose. It, it was a place of thanksgiving and gratefulness to God. And it, it should have been a beautiful noise to the Lord. Jesus chose to sit down right here across from those chests. So you can just imagine, these 13 chests are right here. They're right here in front of him. He sits down. He knows his disciples are there with him. He wants them to see, right? He wants his disciples to see what he sees. He wants them to hear what he hears. He wants them to know what he knows. He's already talked to them about the religious leaders. Now he wants to show them about the gifts and the offerings that are given. See, Jesus, he saw those who gave, but not only their actions, he saw their motives, right? He not only saw the action of giving, he saw the motive of giving. One of the truths in this passage, I believe, is that Jesus wasn't nearly as concerned with what the people gave as much as he was why they gave. It's not to say that the what is not important. It's not to say that, that the amount you give is not important. That's not what it says here. But what it says is why you give makes the difference in what you give. Can I say that again? The why you give makes the most importance out of what you give. 
You can give a great amount. But if it's not to glorify God, God will not use it. God will not take it. Oh, the church might. (laughs) The religious leaders might. But I'm going to tell you something. God won't bless it. Go back and read Matthew chapter 6. I read some of it to you. I didn't read the whole passage, but I read some of it to you. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God looks at the heart. Oh, we, we, look, we look at the outside, but God looks at the inside. And Jesus is doing the same. Now, I believe this. God can and will do incredible things with the offerings that we give to Him in worship and in thankfulness. The offerings we give to Him in worship and in thankfulness. If the gift we give is not about Him, I'm just going to tell you, it won't be blessed. It might buy us a little bit here and a little bit there, but it won't last. And it will not make a dent in eternity. As a matter of fact, what does Jesus see first of all? He sees the rich people. Many rich people came and they gave. As a matter of fact, Mark says they threw it, right? They threw it. Do you know why they threw it? Because it made a whole lot more racket. It made a whole lot more racket. The rich people, Jesus said, gave much, but it was out of their wealth. Oh, they gave much, but it was out of their wealth. What does that mean? Well, let's go backwards. Remember these treasury chests, which were called in the, the Hebrew language shofar, or trumpets, they made noises when offerings were placed in them. Some theologians tell us that they were actually made out of brass. And if they weren't fully constructed of brass, they would have at least been lined with brass. So think about that for just a minute, right? The offerings and the money hitting that brass trumpet, just making all kinds of racket. But Jesus is showing us that the kind of racket it's making is the racket on earth. It ain't a racket in heaven. Oh, it's a racket before man, but it ain't a racket before God. The rich people would throw much money into the trumpets, and the more money they threw into them, the louder noise it would make, and the more attention it would draw to who? Them. The more attention it would draw to them. And so you see, based on the context of this passage, Mark chapter 12, because remember, what's Mark chapter 12 all about? It's about the heart of God reaching down to the heart of man, and the heart of man responding to the heart of God. It's a heart issue. That's what it's all about. So based on the context of this entire passage, this was a heart issue. And even though the rich gave much, their giving was not sacrificial. Do you you know what I would describe their giving as? Comfortable. Now we better look out, right? Now we better look out. It was comfortable giving. It wasn't sacrificial giving. It was comfortable giving. You know what it was? It was show giving. Hey, look at me. Look at what all I've done. Look at what all I've given. Look at me. That their giving was making much of themselves. It was not making much of God. How do I know that? Because I'm looking at the context, right? The context of the whole passage. I'm looking at what Jesus is teaching them, right? Watch out. This is why they do what they do. The religious leaders. Now he's looking at the crowd, right? First he looks at these rich people who come and throw their money. Not just place their money, but throw their money into the treasuries. I can still hear Jesus saying, watch out. See, I know what they do, but more than that, I know why they're doing it. And then what happens? Oh, the widow. The weakest of society. Not because she's just a woman, but because she's a woman without a husband and she has no means. She has no means to make it in the the world. Jesus said the widow gave little. I mean, that's what it says. She, She gave two very small copper coins. She gave little, but it was out of her poverty. As a matter of fact, in my pocket... I have two pennies, right? Two little pennies. Some of you in the back, you can't see it, but Jesus was close enough to where he could see what she put in, right? He could see it. 
two copper coins, two little pennies. Oh, these things are shiny, but you know what? They're only worth two cents. What can that get you today in our world? Say it out loud, Chris. Nothing. Two pennies can't get you nothing, right? Can't get you nothing in this world. Jesus was there. He was in a position that he could see clearly both what is on the outside, but most importantly, what could he see clearly? What's inside? Oh, man, let me tell you about these two small, small copper coins that were worth only a few cents. That's Jesus' words, right? She gave what? Two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. I love Dr. David Jeremiah, and I love what he says in his commentary. Listen to this. The two very small copper coins refers to the ancient Greek coin called a lepton. All right, so what we call pennies in the, in the United States, two little pennies, the least denomination that we have, right? This is the least, this is the lowest denomination of money that we have, right? Listen to this. He says, in the Greek world, these were called leptons, the smallest denomination minted in the Greek world. In that day, a denarius equaled one day's pay. So think about this. When the Bible talks about a denarius... That would have been one day's labor. So a regular labor in the day would have worked all day long and would have made a denarius. Do you know how much a lepton was? A lepton was one and 128ths of a denarius. I'm not making this up. A lepton, the ancient Greek coin, the two small copper coins that this woman would have had in her hands and placed into the trumpet was worth one and 128ths of a denarius. This is what Dr. David Jeremiah says. It would not have been enough to buy even a crumb of bread. So you got, you got many rich people coming in, and boy, they are just throwing money, throwing money into the treasury, right? Throwing money into the trumpets, just making all this racket. And then you got this little widow come in, and all she's got in her hands. And I'm going to tell you, it's not just all she's got in her hands. All she's got in her life, right? All she's got in this world is two leptons worth two, right? Two, one and 128ths of a denarius. Yet she puts it into the treasury. What we know about widows during Jesus' day was that it was a struggle to live. Each day brought its own challenges, and these widows weren't even thinking about tomorrow. They weren't thinking about tomorrow. You know what? These widows, they weren't thinking about where they were going on vacation in June when school was out. They weren't thinking about the new set of tires that their car needs. They weren't thinking about, oh, it's getting really hot. I need Mr. Delbert to come get my AC going. Should I keep going? Because we think about a lot of things in this world, don't we? This woman wasn't thinking about none of that. I have a feeling she was thinking about, what am I going to do for my next meal? And what is it going to be? And where is it going to come from? I love my everyman Bible. Some of you might have one. I love what my everyman Bible says. This is how my everyman Bible describes it. It would have been understandable for a woman like this, a widow, to conserve her resources, to save her money. But rather, she gave what little she had, which was all she had, to God. Jesus praised her for it. Think about that for just a minute. Did Jesus praise the one who made the trumpet racket? Did Jesus praise the ones who threw large amounts of money into the trumpets? I'm I'm asking you. Look at Mark chapter 12, what I just read. Did Jesus praise any of them? No. Who did Jesus praise? He praised the woman. He praised the widow. We even hear it in Jesus' words to his disciples, right? 
Our definition of little is a whole lot different than Jesus' definition of little, isn't it? It's a whole lot different. Jesus, he, he, he tells us that little, it means something when it comes to the why. Not the what, but the why. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Can you wrap your mind around this? Because I can't. Right? I know what she put in there. And in my human mind, and in my paying the bills mind, I'm going, no, she did not. <laughs> no, she put two pennies in. Not even two pennies, right? One and 128th of a penny. She put in two of those. And so in my human mind, I'm going, no, she did not. But Jesus said, yeah, she gave more to the treasury than all the others. And I want you to think about the context of that. He didn't say all of this one or all of that one or all of that one. No, 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 no. He said, add it all up. Add all that money up. Add all that racket up. She gave more than all of them put together. She gave. The widow held nothing back. Do you hear me? She held nothing back from God. She gave all that she had. And here's what I, here's what I pull from this. Her offering may have made little to no noise on the earth that day. But I'm going to tell you something. It made a loud racket in the presence of God. Do you hear me? She, she may have made little to no noise on this earth with what she gave and even why she gave. But oh man, at the footstool of God, he heard it, he saw it, and he praised her for it. Whose praise are you living for? I'm just asking you a question. Whose praise are you living for? Are you living for the praise of your wife? Or the praise of your husband? Are you living for the praise of your boss? Are you living for the praise of your pastor? Are you living for the praise of, of this person and that person? Because I'm going to tell you something. You ain't living. You ain't living if it's for the praise of any man. Because that's going to be a roller coaster that ain't no fun to ride. Up and down, up and down. Disappointment, failure. I'm going to tell you, when, when you're living for God and the only thing you're concerned with is to hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, that's a praise. That's a praise that you ought to desire. That's a praise you ought to live with and live for. I'm going to ask you another question. This is a question I want, I want you to think about. What does God want from me? I'm, I, I'm not... I'm not asking you this question. I'm asking you to ask yourself. See, I'm asking myself this question. What does God want from me? Think about that for just a minute. How would you answer that? God, what do you want from me? And God begins to speak and God begins to stir. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm sure I can answer that question in a lot of ways. I, I'm sure I can answer that question in a lot of ways. I'm sure there are several answers that could or would be uh, correct based on the context of different passages, but I'm asking this question. What does God want from me looking at Mark chapter 12? I'm not looking at any other passage in the Bible. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm looking at Mark chapter 12, verse 1, all the way through 44. What does God want from me? And here's how I answer that. God wants my love. God wants my love. You know what God wants? God wants my all. You know what God wants? God wants my everything. That's what he wants. He wants my love. He wants my all. He wants my everything. And yeah, we can sum it up with those four words, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here it is even better. God wants me. That's what God wants. God wants me. You might say, well, Brother Jeff, doesn't he want my money? God wants me. And when he has all of me, guess what he'll have? Guess what he'll have? All of my money. You know what else he'll have? All of my time. You know what else he'll have? I mentioned it just a few minutes ago. He'll have all of my talents. God wants my love. God wants my all. God wants my everything. You know what? 
God wants my joyful worship. Think about that for just a minute. Put those two words together. Not just my worship. He wants my joyful worship. God, I'm glad that I am here today. God, I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be right here in your presence today. I joyfully worship you. Is everything going great in my life? Who cares? (laughs) I'm with you. I ain't got time to worry about that bill or that job or not job or that thing going, no, God, I'm with you. And so I joyfully worship you. Is God concerned about those things that concern me? Absolutely. Absolutely he is. I'm not trying to diminish what you're going through, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something powerful about coming to God in joyful worship. Oh, God, you are too good to me. I ain't got time to say what all is wrong because I'm only focused on what is right. You are good. You are good. And I'm just thankful to be in your presence, worshiping you. God wants my love. He wants my all. He wants my everything. He wants my joyful worship. And most importantly, God wants my complete surrender. My complete surrender. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, the Bible says, Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. I believe this woman, this widow, she honored God with all she had. It wasn't about the two copper coins. You know what it was about? It was about her heart. It'd be, it'd, be easy just to, it'd be easy to get stuck on those two little copper coins, wouldn't it? It'd be easy to say, oh, that's what it was about. No, this is not what it was about. It's not about those two copper coins. It's about that heart. It's about who she is and who she was created to be and what she was created to do. And when God had all of her heart and all of her soul and all of her mind and all of her strength, he had all of her. And if it was two pennies, then so be it. Because I'm going to tell you something. God can do more with these two pennies given to him out of complete surrender than he can do with your thousands given for your attention. Look, look, we'll have a harvest day here in a little while, a few weeks from now. And we'll set a goal. And we'll say, oh, our goal is is 50,000. And I'm going to tell you something. I might get in trouble, but I'm going to say this. Don't bring your 1,000. Don't bring your 5,000. Don't bring your 10,000 to make much of you. I'd just soon us not meet the goal. If it's about you feeling better about yourself or patting yourself on the back or even doing it so somebody else will pat you on the back. Here's what I tell you. You save that money and do something else with it. I'll take the one that brings me two pennies. Completely surrender to God. Because I'm going to tell you something, God will do something with that two pennies that you and I can't do. And he will not honor those thousands you bring if it's not given to him to make much of him and to make much of his kingdom. So the question is, have you surrendered your all? Have you surrendered your all? Have you surrendered you, yourself, your everything, to God. How do I do that, Brother Jeff? Well, I say first and foremost, you do that through repentance of sin. Oh, God, I see you. And God, thanks to your word, I know you. You are creator. You are the author and perfecter of life. God, you created me. Who am I to even be here in your presence? But God, I know what your word tells me. Your word tells me you love me. Your word tells me that you demonstrate your love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner... Christ died for me. Oh, not when I was prettied up. Not when I had my coat on, when I came to church looking like what people tell me I ought to look like. No, God, you loved me when you saw me at my worst, and you still love me. You love me this much that you demonstrate your love for me in this, that Jesus Christ died for me. And so, God, in response to your love, you so loved me 
that you gave. You first loved me. And because of that, God, I want to return love to you. And the best way I can return love to you is first and foremost, repent of my sin. I am a sinner. I am wrong. I have rebelled against you. I have rejected you in every area of my life. And so, God, I repent of that. Listen to me. That's not just remorse. That's not just I'm sorry. That's I'm guilty. That's I'm wrong. I'm a rebel. Repentance of sin is where it begins. And then you put your eyes on Jesus. God's demonstration of love for you. The one who died on the cross for you. You put your eyes on Jesus and say, I believe in him. I believe he is the one who came to give his life. Who came to serve. Not to take and not to be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And I am one of the many. He came to ransom me. To save me. I put my faith in him. I put my trust in him. And God, I surrender. Right? I surrender all of me. All of my heart. All of my soul. All of my mind. All of my strength. God, I give you all of me. And each and every day, I'm finding out, right? I'm finding out more and more that I haven't given my all. And so, God, thank you for convicting me. Thank you for stirring my heart and showing me that ah, I've been holding on to something over here. Ah, I've been holding on to something over here. God, I want to just open up my hands to you and say, here I am. All of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The 5,000 if I got it. Or the two cents if that's all I got. Because God, you know my heart. And if I'm making much of you with my two cents, if I'm honoring you with what I am and what I got, you will honor me. But God, if I'm giving to make much of me, your word says that you will despise that gift and that you will treat me with disdain. That word disdain means to reject. It means to reject. It means you won't have it. You won't bless it. You won't use it. So let me ask you again. Have you surrendered? Have you surrendered all? What does God want from you? Read Mark chapter 12. You'll find out. God wants you. He wants all of you. He wants your love. He wants your everything. He wants your joyful worship. He wants your complete surrender. And nothing else will satisfy. You better understand that. Nothing else will satisfy. It's all or it's nothing. Oh, God, help me. God, help me.